everyone just making a quick intro before the podcast because i haven't done one for about a year now this is because my channel got taken down on youtube which is really annoying because i worked really hard to build it up so if you haven't already hit subscribe down below please and help me rebuild the channel they didn't even give me a good reason for taking it down so yeah that was really disappointing secondly i had a baby in may so i haven't had much time on my hands looking after a newborn that's taken up a lot of my time but i did really miss podcasting so yeah i decided to come back and these are the kind of topics that i wanted to discuss because they're impacting our children's future and my child's future as well and yeah i forgot to mention in the podcast um elise's contact details so i've left down below her social media channels so if you want to get in touch with her after the show please feel free hope you enjoy the episode and yeah if you ever want to contact me my contact details are down below too welcome everyone to the enlighten with alex podcast today i've got a wonderful guest, Dr. Elise. Uh, she's been a doctor for 14 years. We were introduced originally because of the uh, mandate with the NHS staff, and you know a lot of doctors were concerned about that, and we were going to do a piece kind of talking out about that and play our small part. Uh, but obviously that's been overturned now, but there's lots of other things to discuss. So yeah, Dr. Elise is bravely talking out about some of these things because a lot of people haven't been as brave so well done for that welcome Elise thank you Alex thank you for having me thanks for coming on thank you for your time um do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background and your kind of journey to this point yes yes thank you um so yeah I'm um so I'm Canadian I was uh, I went to med school in Canada at the University of Sherbrooke uh qualified in 2008 uh, and then I went on to uh, the University of Ottawa to do my training in family medicine, uh, during which I met an English guy. Um, so that led me to doing some temporary work or what's called locum work, uh, mostly in Canada, until I could move to the UK. Uh, so I started practicing in the UK in 2012, uh, initially in Amy as an Amy doctor because I couldn't get uh, my license as a, as a GP. And then for a year, I kind of assessed my options and decided what I wanted to do more long term. And after a year, I decided to actually I wanted to go back into general practice. I retrained as a GP uh, in this country. Um, I was quite lucky that actually my training wasn't as long as the uh, training training here uh, because of my previous experience. I did two years, which actually took me four years because I had some children, two children in the meantime. Um, so qualified as a GP in 2017, yeah, 17, that's quite a long time ago. Uh, so I've been a GP in East Lancashire for uh, five years now. Uh, I've done yeah, various things. Um, and in the last, uh, uh, probably in the last few years, I've kind of also um, had increased interest in more lifestyle medicine, holistic, integrative medicine, sort of, um, trying to bring probably the Eastern medicine to Western medicine. That's really um, where, where my, my passion uh, lies at the moment. So do you think it's kind of like a fusion of both, kind of using the best of both? Is that where you see yourself kind of headed? 
yeah yeah definitely i think that's that that's exactly where where i want to be and and i've got a few projects uh, on the go at the moment to kind of explore and and, and I, I would say i'm probably quite novice in the eastern or, or, or more holistic medicine um but i do think that the uh, kind of pill for for a disease approach is um not necessarily complete uh for the use of a different word but i think i think really seeing the person as a whole and each individual being different is really the way that we need to to, to look for uh, to, to really help people yeah do you think the western approach kind of looks to treat symptoms whereas would you say the eastern approach kind of looks to prevent those happening in the first place that's what yeah. i kind of imagine in my head but i don't well i I don't want to, I can't, can't really say too much for Eastern medicine because I don't really know. I think my, my view is, is still, as I said, quite, quite novice, but I think there's a lot of, um, if you, if you're thinking about Ayurvedic medicine, for example, Ayurvedic nutrition, um, and, and certainly if you, if you look at uh, the mindfulness, meditation, yogi type thing in India, they'll, all, all the, the practices they have, whether it's, uh, having, the community, uh, good food, meditation, you're right, that's preventing it. So I think, I think in a lot of these things, so having community, um, preventing loneliness is so important to have good health outcome. Um, and if you look at not only in Eastern medicine, but if you look at the blue zones, I don't know if you've heard of the blue zones. No. Is that where people live the longest, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yes, there's a few areas that have been um, that, that have been researched by um, called Dan from the National Geographic, and he um, he looked at all these areas where they had most uh, people living over a hundred and what made them live longest, basically. Um, and he has nine areas uh, that, that are covered. Um, and there's not kind of one approach to all of them, but in general, they'll have good real food, um, not processed, they'll spend time outside, they'll have a community, they'll have a purpose in life, um, and they'll sleep well. And, and it, they're all kind of basic pillars uh, of your life that are similar to all these places. And it's not, oh no, you, eat, you need to eat just just fish or just meat or just plants it's it's i think it's it's more complex than that and i think it's uh, really well i think i think humans are complex and an individual and i think that's the beauty of it but but there's also things that everyone needs we're social beings we need to be around people um which i think a lot of people have probably realized in the last couple of years that that has yeah. been missing well yeah that's what one of the things probably the biggest thing I found shocking about all the sort of advice because it was all like um stay alone they left all the kind of off licenses open but shut everything else there was no talk about healthy eating exercise uh sunlight what did you think make of all that as a doctor well it's uh I, I totally agree with you again it's it's uh we're talking about basic stuff which haven't been really discussed oh let's let's tackle this this big virus this big emergency yet stay indoors don't say see anyone oh you can drink and eat takeaways that's fine whereas really we should have said no no gyms are open 
everyone takes vitamin D. Um, you eat good food, try to stay healthy, because actually that's the best protection. If you're, if you're boosting up your immune system, take, take the nutrients that you need, eat, eat good food, be with people, because actually being with people, hugging people, you, you release some really good hormones and that's going to be good for your immune system. Um, whereas if you're on your own, not seeing anyone, being indoors, watching Netflix all day, I'm not sure that's going to do much good to your immune system. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems common sense. Like, I haven't got any qualifications in this stuff. And I was straight away like, this just seems crazy. And another thing, there was a big correlation, wasn't there, between uh, the deaths and obesity, which was kind of put under the carpet. Well, it's uh, very taboo. Mm. We can't talk about people being overweight or obese. like a so PC talk, it's not PC, but it's okay to uh, discriminate against people that choose not to have a, an inoculation that they don't know anything about, which, yeah, I, I think is, is really sad because actually um, obesity is a really big risk factor for so many health issues, for diabetes, for heart problems, for cancer, um, osteoarthritis. I mean, the list is, is long. Um, and I'm not saying it's easy to lose weight. I, I completely get people that are overweight and struggling. And I think, again, it is complex and there's not one diet that's going to fit everyone because everyone's got a reason often to, to be overweight, uh, whether it's because they're in pain, they can't exercise or because they're overeating because they're palliating for some emotional needs. And I think that all these intricacies are very personal um but it, it still needs to be tackled well yeah that's the thing like obviously it can be a sensitive subject and it's not about you know shaming them people is it but it's still the truth of the matter and like something that needs to be addressed like in the end it's about looking after them so they have the healthiest outcome isn't it well exactly yeah and and and, and certainly if i go back to my practice when i've got patients that i can see have you can see that there's things not quite right in their in their health. It might be overweight. The BMI is is over what what's expected. You can see from the blood results that cholesterol is high, or the liver function is is abnormal because they've probably got a fatty liver. Um, and I'm not one to kind of I'm, I'm someone to be quite direct. And I say, look, I think there's probably some things that you need to change. You're quite young, like the, you, you've got the you've got a lot of tools in your in your toolbox that you can use to to make a change and it's trying to trying to work with that person and 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 help them find the tools basically um but i think it is important and and i think most people will know most people will know if they're overweight or they're not healthy um but it's trying to help those people make the changes that will benefit them uh yeah, and try to yeah, inspire them, motivate them to make those changes. Um, yeah. Something I wanted to ask, how long were you studying, did you say, to become a doctor? So I went to, so medical school, uh, where I went in Canada was four years. So I did the equivalent of A-levels uh, in Quebec, so a couple of years after, after high school. And then I went to med school, so it's four years because it was kind of a slightly more condensed some some of the universities are five years um and then after that i did um the family medicine training which is kind of the equivalent of a gp training here is two years uh so i did that for two years and then basically i was a fully fledged gp or family doctor in canada for a couple of years i worked 
I worked a little bit all over really. I did so I did temporary work, but mostly in rural and remote areas uh, that were in, in greater needs. So so I worked like with the Inuits. I worked in the Arctic doing like oh, wow. medical evacuation and yeah, on planes and yeah. Um so so it, yeah, it was very interesting actually. And in in a way I do miss it for the because the Again, the population is very different to what you can encounter in the UK, but even like southern Canada is very different because they're remote and they've had they've had a lot of trauma, the the Inuits um, or the Aboriginal. It's mainly the, the Inuits I worked with. Um, and I think a lot of trauma is inflicted by the Western world, unfortunately. The Western world coming and wanting to impose a way of life and they kind of moved away from from doing the the hunting, the fishing, being outside in community, and the Western world brought like, okay, well, we're going to give you some the equivalent of like universal income, but basically some money, so you stay in your in your villages, uh, you've got your your houses, and you've got your TV, you've got your food, but you don't have your way of life, you don't have your community, you're not going fishing, you're not going to pick berries and so on, so. So, so yeah, we've seen, and obviously the alcohol was brought in, which yeah. the Inuit population, and I think because they're quite similar to the Asian population from like a historical point of view, they don't metabolize alcohol very well. Yeah. Uh, and you can see that there's some mental health issues related to that. It's, it's uh, interesting that you bring that up because I've never been to Canada, but I lived in Australia for two years. It's a very similar history with the Aboriginals. And yeah. it's exactly the same as what you're saying, all the issues they're having. You could tell there'd been a lot of trauma kind of passed on from the generations. There was a massive drinking problem. They were drinking this um, like cheap wine called Goon that would just send them kind of wild and uh, s- sniffing a lot of glue and things like that. And the government would just give them handouts, force them into the, these little communities but really they wanted to be like back out in the wild. We went to see this place called Mossman Gorge, which was like a beautiful river. And you see them in there just loving life, like diving in between rocks and yeah, living their kind of way they used to live. Yeah, the but basically a wilder life. That's uh, basically the essence of and and I think if you if you translate that to even western world i think i think even we're not meant to live the way we live we're, we're not meant to be all isolated in our houses on our own we're, well, that's why they say it takes a village to raise a child yeah i'm finding that out at the moment yeah you, yeah I'm sure, I'm sure you are um but we're not meant to be just isolated with little support and 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 really from quite an early early age as well it's just I'm, I'm just looking at my own experience I, I had two children so two maternity leave quite quite close together and then go back to go back to work pretty much full-time so daddy's at home working mummy's working at her workplace and the kids are uh, at nursery so we're all kind of separated whereas if you look at more traditional ways of of doing and yeah the Inuits or probably the Aboriginal in Australia or in Africa and probably in Asia as well 
the mum goes back to work quite early on, but she's carrying a child on her back or front, or the four-year-old is carrying the child. And there's like, all the kids are playing together and it's just more natural and more accepted. Um, it's changing a little bit, but it's still very much uh, in compartments. Um, so, yeah. so the, yeah, some, some flaws in the Western world. <laughs> Definitely. And I think a lot of people are becoming aware of that. I could see in the next 10 years, a lot of people going back to communities like my good friend, Alex, I was only chatting to him this morning. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how he really wants to do something this year, start some kind of community. So, yeah, hopefully we do kind of go back to that more community based living. But yeah, just going back to what I was saying, the reason I asked about uh, how long you've been studying. So obviously you said six years in total, I think it was. I want to talk about the kind of emotional side because after that, after six years studying, which is a really long time, it takes a lot of dedication and you've worked so long as a GP. How did it feel when they said you're going to lose your job unless you take the inoculation? Yeah, well, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, and I think, yeah, I've been working for, for a while, but also because I, I, I came to UK and I kind of had to retrain and it's okay. Like it was, it was tough at the time and I've learned loads, but, but obviously it was kind of, it was not like a, yeah, an easy path, let's say, because essentially I trained twice as a GP. So I'm like a double GP. Um, not really, but yeah, I think, uh, I think it was really difficult, even though, because I've, been quite well informed in the last couple of years I could see it coming and I knew from the care home workers uh, mandate that it was going to come for the NHS workers um yeah it was just really sad uh because it it makes you question your choices um because not yet your choices about about taking an experimental inoculation or your job um and 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 for me i think i, w- I had to go back to my values and yeah. and and i think when you know what your fundamental values are i don't want to say it makes the choice easier i, I still have doubts pretty, pretty much every day um, n- not now it, i think it's 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 settled a little bit but i think it was and I think it was just really sad and I just felt really undervalued as well. Um, but, but, but yeah, when, when you know why you're making a choice, I think you, 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 I don't want to say you stand your ground. It's probably not the right expression, but I think it's, um, you, you, you're more at peace with it. Um, yeah. No, I know what you mean. I kind of made my mind up and it's like, that was that, but I, I didn't have, you know, um, a job to worry about or a long career so it's completely different really but did part of you feel kind of patronized in a way because obviously you're a professional you're more than capable of making your own decisions informed decisions and there was a lot of you deciding not to have it yeah yeah no definitely uh, and I think um, what's been difficult as well is that you um when I said you feel undermined is that I feel like I'm a professional, I'm educated, I can make my own decision. Other people might think these decisions are um, 
irresponsible or silly and they've got a right to think that but I've, I've, I've weighed out the pros and the cons and I've come up with with a choice that was the best thing for me um, and that belongs to me and and I think I was trying to when I was trying to share that with friends family colleagues um, what, what was really sad is that it was quickly brushed aside like yeah oh no we'll listen to you for other things but for that your opinion doesn't matter um and i think it's very complex and i understand why what why i was treated that way and, and why it happened that way because it's much bigger than just an argument or a conversation between two people it's uh, there's a lot of other information that's been kind of pushed upon people through mass media uh, and i mean the, the the term mass formation or mass psychosis has been has been raised before and i, I do think there's there's a bit of that going on um yeah well like for people like me you kind of see it coming because i've been kind of studying how corrupts the kind of elite level is through the mass media for like 10 years so when i see it it's just like straight away i was like there's something bigger going on here but to the everyday person, I do understand because to kind of comprehend the fact that all these media companies could be lying to you at the same time does sound a bit crazy, which I understand. Yeah, and I, and I think it's, uh, I think, as you say, for, for most people, they're not ready to absorb that information because I think it's a lot to take on. And I think, I think for me, it was like, I think my journey is, as I was saying earlier, it, has been over several years of kind of becoming aware that there's something not quite right. And it's probably yeah, from my experience working the Arctic and moving from Canada to here and raising my children a slightly different way and, and realizing that actually we're all quite isolated as family units. And then through work that, well, actually, I'm just a little bit fed up of just pushing pills to people. I want to tell them to like go and exercise. Let's go and like do breathing work, go for a walk. And and I think all that, and then, and I think it came to like March 2020 and all that happened. And I was just like, oh yeah, I'm a bit scared what's going on. I'm, and and I, initially I couldn't quite see the, the the woods of the trees, let's say. And, and I think I was quite anxious seeing like, oh, what's going on in Italy and China and oh, is everyone's going to. I don't, I don't I didn't think that oh is everyone going to die but I felt anxious I knew I felt anxious yeah. but then nothing happened for like two months not like locally and I can't I mean it seems like it was a little bit busier in London but certainly up north and certainly in my GP practice it was eerily quiet for a couple of months and I was just oh this is really weird so maybe it's just down in London it's going to come to us but it never really did I mean, they were busy. I know they were busy in hospital, but it, I don't think they were ever overwhelmed. I mean, we never had communication saying that they couldn't take more patients because they, they had too many people. Um, yeah. Sorry, just to yeah. come in there. There's another lady who's going to come on the podcast. She's struggling with like stress and whatnot, so she decided not to in the end. She ended mm. up being on ITV and they gave her a hard time on there. And she worked on actual ward and said that it was eerily quiet like the whole time. Mm. She was actually on the COVID ward. So yeah. but she did say other wards were apparently busy, but she said 
her one and a lot of others shared about were quiet. So. Yeah, and certainly after speaking for to, to like hospital doctors that have moved through different wars, they did say that it was fairly quiet as well locally, um, which which was kind of in keeping with what we're seeing. And and to be honest, you also thinking, well, where are the people that we used to see? Right, the heart attacks, the strokes, the chest infections. So we probably didn't see them for for a while. Um, are you starting to see a, a backlog from that now? Yeah, yeah, we've started seeing a backlog. So I think the, the, the way it kind of, I guess from like probably May, June, like people started to come again, but it was like more in a like drip. Um, and then like it built up slowly over over a few months and then again last year i can't say that we had like the winter was busy but i wouldn't say it's, it was busier and and i think well, I'm, i've lost track of all the lockdowns we had i think that was there a lockdown <laughs> last year yeah so that was last winter last winter so i think i think that probably put people off to come and and a lot of people are saying oh gps you're not seeing patients which isn't true we never stop seeing patients i think initially and and still we're doing most things over the phone because that's what we're being instructed to but uh most of my colleagues most people i know are seeing like we, we speak to patients over the phone if they need to come in like it's not a question they'll come in and that's fine um but i would say the backlog i've felt it arrived probably about six months ago just over six months ago uh and it's been really really busy the last six months um and yeah i do think that we're yeah we're seeing a backlog there's there's waiting lists in hospitals that are humongous um like people waiting a year to see a specialist uh it used to be six months now it's a year i mean it's, it's unacceptable but this is all the impact of lockdown that's not been discussed of, of, of fobbing people off basically or telling them to, I, I know it's not a PC word to say, but, but, but essentially people were told to stay at home to save lives, just not their own <laughs> because people have forgot to, to get health and, and people have died at home from heart attacks, from, from, from bleeding, from infections, uh, probably from cancer as well, because they didn't see, health um healthcare opinion uh, because they were told to stay at home um and i think the i think people are going to uh, they're, they're going to be excess death there's already excess death um and i think there's probably a combination of the mental health aspect of lockdown and people not not seeking help and also we're just never going to catch up the the backlog which is which is a sad thing to to, to say but I, I think it's true <laughs> yeah yeah i know that suicide rates have gone up as well which is obviously horrendous um and yeah obviously it's turning people away for like really important health issues for one that really the survival rate was really high wasn't it the whole time especially yeah. with omricon yeah yeah, well, the yeah, the overall survival rate is uh, over ninety nine percent, and and I don't want to dismiss any death. I think any death is is tragic, um, 
but again if we go back to kind of the roots of of what we are we're all gonna die yeah <laughs> whether we like it or not and i think that's something that that isn't talked about and i think it should be talked about it's it's okay to die and i'm not saying that i'm 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 okay with my own mortality yet or anyone in my family obviously i want everyone around me to be around as much as as i can but it's just undeniable uh the only thing we know in life is that there's a hundred percent mortality rate yeah um whether you eat eggs or not or whether you walk or not and we just don't know when our time's going to be um so this idea that we're going to fight covid that we're going to beat cancer uh or whatever the condition is is kind of ludicrous in a way uh, and i'm not saying that yes there's things that we can do to make sure we're healthy and that we don't get heart problems or diabetes and that we live a healthy life life as long as we can and i'm all for that but also we've got to accept that i think and i think it's very much from my my own spirituality and also my work as a gp is that yeah people are afraid of 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 death and i think i'm sure I'm sure when when I'll be faced with my own mortality, I'll probably be afraid, uh, or, or maybe not. Maybe I'll have worked on, on myself enough that I'll I'll, I'll feel at peace. Um, and I think it's something that's quite scary. Uh, but but I think it's yeah something that probably as a as a society we need to be talking about a little bit more. No, I'm really glad you brought that up because I've I've thought about that a lot and just how kind of not at peace we are with it at all. In fact, I made a video and a meditation called um, coming at peace with our mortality because it's such a big thing. And part of that mm. was discussing what happens in Bhutan, which is like a, a Buddhist country in Asia, where they actually spend, I think it's 10 minutes every day contemplating their own death. Mm. And they actually believe that it gives them a, a lot of kind of joy coming at peace with that. And it makes them live in the present much more. Because, you know, they're not walking around as if this is going to last forever. They're enjoying every moment. So they kind of flip it into a, a positive thing, which I think is nice. Yeah, no, it's uh, it sounds very interesting. Because as you say, I think the, the only moment we've got is now. The past is gone and the future we've got no grip on. So, and, and I think it's it's something we often, or I often forget. And it's good to remind myself. And I think, yeah meditation and and mindfulness really helps you kind of go back to that yeah definitely it's helped me i think conversations as well it's like when i'm talking to you now i'm not really thinking about anything else i'm just thinking about this conversation and and that goes back to what you were saying about loneliness i think interacting with people does really bring you to the present yeah yeah no definitely Mm. But yeah, let's uh, let's go back to the the hard stuff. <laughs> so yeah, we were talking earlier. And this is a really serious issue, so I might laugh. But um, about children getting jabbed because whilst the kind of mandates are going away and everyone's thinking it's back to normal, we're not really at that point. And then they're kind of promoting it to five to eleven year olds now in England and Wales, aren't they? So yeah, I just yeah. wanted to get your thoughts about that because I know you've got a lot of kind of data and knowledge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, England's uh, England, Scotland, and Wales actually have announced that they would offer it to um, all five to eleven. I think before it was just the uh, at risk. 
um, they've announced that this week, which, uh, yeah, a very, very sad time. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, the mandate was a big, uh, big battle in a way. And, 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 but I think there's still a lot of, of battles to be, to be fought really. And, and I think and that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm resisting and I'm speaking up is for the children uh, because they they are the future um, and they don't really know what's going on or, or maybe they have a sense but we need to protect the children and and I think that should be the our, our first priority uh, so when when I hear uh, by the government that we should jab um, under 18, I mean, even the under 18, I think it's, it, it, there was no rationale behind that. Uh, five to 11, even less. Why should we inoculate under 18 to protect old, vulnerable people? Yeah, it's kind of a backward thing, isn't it? Because historically, we've always protected the children at all costs, and they've always come before the elderly which makes you makes sense because like we've discussed this the circle of life obviously they're coming towards the end of their life either way yeah yeah who do we put in the boat first the women and the children um yeah and, like and the that's... titanic or yeah. the oldies get on leave the children on the on the titanic let them sink <laughs> exactly and i think if you if you make that analogy just like, oh yeah it makes sense and and i think through through lockdown and school closures and everything it's just like oh this was not for the benefit of children actually it's been harming children and we've not had a risk benefit analysis and rather than stepping back and saying oh actually yeah omicron is not as virulent and is not as um damageable as the other variants um so do we really need to keep pushing on with um, an inoculation that has no long-term safety data? Um, and some people say, oh, well, we've got plenty of data. We've been using it for over a year now. Um, well, I don't think that a year is long-term safety data, and that's not enough for, for children. Uh, most vaccines will take between 10 and 15 years to be developed. Um, this is a new technology, as most people will know, it's mRNA technology, uh, it's not, never been used in humans, certainly not at this scale, and it, it's had, before it got launched, it had less than 12 months um, data. Now we've got more, a little bit more, um, but the data we've got is actually quite concerning, that's the thing also when I say there's no risk-benefit analysis, the data we've got is quite concerning, we've got really good um, warning system, so in, in, in the UK it's called the Yellow Card Reporting Scheme, in the state it's called the VARS, and in, uh, in Europe it's Eurovigilance, so they're, they're the kind of three main ones that people look at, and all the numbers are fairly similar in proportion. Since the, the vaccine rollout has started, there's been over 2,000 death recorded post-jam, uh, which is massive, uh, and that's happening in people that were previously healthy. Um, so, th so that's for the population at large, so it includes children, but I think that's like quite a big 
warning system and 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 i think need, it needs to be looked into and that's that's what i've been saying for, for months as well that we should just say okay what, what's going on here i'm not saying that there's uh, that i know all the answers what i'm saying is that we need to have an inquest someone needs to look into that and and decide if if this inoculation is safe or not rather than just pressing on and and giving it to people that actually are probably at higher risk so that's one thing um the, the other kind of red flag system we've got is that there's been an increased risk so i'll read that because i've, I've put it down there's an increase in all-cause mortality in male 15 to 19 year olds since the vaccine rollout in may 2021 that's in the uk yeah. so compared to the five-year average there's a two excess death per week for male 15 to 19. so that's two excess two boys that shouldn't really be dying every week um and again i'm not i'm not pretending i've got all the answers but but we've got enough data now that we should stop and look at what's going on yeah surely there needs to be at least an inquest um like i watched the podcast with dr mcculloch on joe rogan not sure if yeah. you watched that but um some of those stats were quite alarming i think he said thirteen thousand teenagers have had myocarditis from it over there i mean that's a huge number in just a year isn't it because it's only been rolled out it was about was it january last year something like that the i don't know when they start i think it's may they started for um under 18 but yeah the the uh the vaccine rollout in this country started in december 2020 yeah yeah uh, but yes, the increase uh, in myocarditis in young male uh, has, has been quite significant. Uh, the number I've got, for, uh, we don't have the numbers in the UK, but in, in the States, it's uh, one in just over 9,000. But they've got in, in Hong Kong, they've got like a better uh, reporting system, and it's one in 2,600 which is quite significant. Um, and it is now on the government website uh, against the COVID vaccines that, oh yeah, myocarditis is a recognized side effect from, from the jab, uh, which they've recognized. But I think my, my concern with that is that it's been minimized as if myocarditis is something like a cold. Um, the myocarditis is very serious. Myocarditis is inflammation of your heart muscle. It means that there's the cells in your heart are being damaged. Um, some of them probably irreversibly. Um, and the mortality, so people might die up to one in five at one year. So it means that up to 20% might lose their life as a result of myocarditis within a year. And we don't know what the damage could be long term. I mean, the, the, the data we've got for myocarditis is that the prognosis at five years is that between 56 and 83 percent are going to be still alive. So that's that, that isn't keeping with probably one in five might actually die within five years. Uh, but that doesn't include the what we call morbidity. So how it can affect your, your life long term. Uh, I mean, there's a. a a famous uh, Swiss marathon runner uh, that had to um, she had to retire following a third dose because she had myocarditis and she can't run anymore. Um, yeah, like I'm 
a big um, football fan and there's been so many players that have had to retire recently and it seems almost every week someone collapse, collapses in the stands, which was never heard of really before, or at least it wasn't reported very often. Um, and literally every week there's something new. Yeah, the uh, the numbers I've seen is that the, the FIFA reported that, uh, well, I don't think it's a FIFA, but there's the, the numbers from the FIFA player is an increase in 200%. Uh, collapse and sudden death um, which again it should be investigated yeah yeah but that's mm. it it's not it, it's not even like people <coughs> like us are asking to jump to conclusions even though you know I have my own opinions of what's happening it's just saying at least you gotta have an inquiry and the fact they're not doing that makes you question it even more it's like why isn't that happening because it seems like the most obvious thing to do yeah exactly and it's uh like I, i'm not an, a specialist in that subject but i'm a gp um, i'm educated i can i can read science uh i can read numbers and data and something is really concerning um and rather than just keep pushing normally you just stand back and 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 i think by nature i'm very cautious and i just think well i think we should look into that um and 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 one of the arguments I've, I've i've been told before is that oh well there's just millions of people that have died from covid well actually if we look at the uk numbers uh the numbers initially was were nearly 1006 um sorry 160,000 uh that died with covid but Sadi, um, i can't say his name the, the health minister. Jarvid, 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 yeah. Jarvid, thank I'm you. not sure how to say his first name. Um, came up uh, a few weeks ago saying that actually people have died of COVID, COVID was more around 17,000. Well, actually 17,000 is nowhere near millions. And if you compare that to the yellow card reporting system, which is about 2,000 people have died, and it's, it's well acknowledged that the reporting system under reports by between one to 10%. So let's say you, you, you say it's about 20,000 because it's, it's uh, just a fraction of what's been reported. Let's say there's 20,000. Well, actually there might've been as many people that have died from the, from the COVID jab. Yeah. And the, so, and the so is that the yeah. difference is those people could be any age, whereas the ones dying of, the virus were all elderly, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, but now I think I think that seventeen thousand figure because I shared that recently. I think that was people without comorbidities, but I might be wrong. Oh, perhaps. Yeah. But either either way, it's a small figure, isn't it, compared to other? E- yeah. Either way, and the thing is, without comorbidity, how many how many people have had adverse reactions that didn't have that were previously healthy or perhaps have died i mean i've i've, I've seen i've seen jab injuries um in people that previously didn't have any health conditions um is that yeah. from patients or f- friends and family or? yeah both mm. both yeah um yeah and 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 yeah people have know like healthcare professionals i, I know that i've seen um injuries as well what kind, of, what kind of injuries have you seen a lot of um well i've seen personally a lot of, of menstrual disorders um some 
neurological disorders, so people having like pins and needles, odd, odd sensation um, that they, they correlate with having the, the injection. Um, about uh, someone with really, really severe headaches that couldn't work, even like two months after the, the jab, she had all sorts of tests and couldn't walk more than five minutes in her garden. Um, there's someone else I know, but um, previously healthy healthcare professional um, had, had the jabs because it was the thing to do. Um, really unwell for several months. All his inflammatory markers in his bloods were all abnormal as well. Um, so clearly something had happened. Um, so yeah, a few people that work more in emergency services that said they've, they've seen a lot of young male uh, presenting with shortness of breath and chest pain. And when they get all the blood tests done, everything's normal. So you're thinking, well, is there maybe microemboli going on, so sort of small blood clots um, that, that aren't necessarily being picked up by blood tests or scans. Um, and, and personally, I feel that it's more, and, and looking, at, looking at the data, it certainly looks more than any other vaccine. And people say, oh, no, we've, we've, we've injected a lot more people. But if you look every year, there's like the childhood immunization you give millions of doses and certainly if you look in the, the there's a really good graph from the VARS in, uh, in the states and there's like a, a line for reported injury i don't know if you've seen it and it's quite no, flat it's quite flat and in 2021 there's a sharp increase yeah um, i hadn't seen the graph but i did hear that someone said i don't know how true this is that there's been more injuries in the last year than the last the previous 40 combined or something crazy like that yeah i think that's something like that in in, in the states and um if you go back to also like you you mentioned the, the footballers uh because I, I think it's quite easy to see when when there's reports of, of footballers collapsing right left and center in the same week when before it was like every few years um but that started in 2021 yeah yeah, yeah, it didn't, in 2020. But that was it. Some people were saying it was because of the virus, but it wasn't happening in 2020. It happened yeah. once the uh, jab was rolled out. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's just, yeah, it does raise questions uh, when when you start to put the dots together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And obviously, they were trying to coerce the NHS stuff into getting it. The fact that they've reversed the decision tells me that it wasn't, again, it wasn't really about health. It was trying to get as many people to have it as possible. What do you kind of make of the decision to reverse it? Even though it made me feel very uncomfortable for, for quite, quite a few months, um, I, think, I think I had faith and hope that they would reverse it because of, of, of what happened in other countries. Um, and, and, and I think partly I, I did feel that it was even more evil in a way that they pushed it so far um, when, when they probably knew that they would have to reverse on a moral and ethical uh, background. Yeah, maybe, um, even, maybe even legal. Like I'm, I'm no expert in law at all, but 
um, I don't know how that kind of thing would pass in a court of legally. law. Legally. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it ever did. I don't think it, it, it was legal either. But again, I'm not, yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, I'm not a law expert. Um, but, but from what I've seen from various groups that were fighting it, um, I, I don't think it was uh, like a, a law. And, and if you actually look at common law, so your, your bodily autonomy is, is like natural law, common law, that's above parliament laws. Um, so so that's I think I think that that was a yeah above that but uh, but I think it is sad because I do feel that some NHS workers that didn't want it for the wrong personal reason their choice ended up having to or ended up getting it because they couldn't they couldn't cope with the anxiety of perhaps losing a job they might have been their personal circumstances they they needed to have the money coming in because maybe they're a single parent or or they're too tight and and I feel really sad for those people that that were essentially coerced into having an injection that they didn't want uh, that might have had uh, side effects from it um, and I think that, that that's I think that's what I mean when I say it's a bit evil because I, I I've heard so many people saying well I, I didn't want to have it but I got it um, mm just so I could feed my family and keep a roof over, over my head. Yeah, it's really sad. And I think mm. being critical of people that kind of are on my side in a sense that think this way, I've seen a lot of people kind of, you know, make fun of those people, like, oh, you shouldn't have had it, which I think is wrong. Do you know what I mean, like, there's been a lot of pressure. Like you say, some people are going to put food on the table for the kids. They've had a lot of pressure placed on them. So I think, you know, if we want more unity, we're going to be kinder to each other. No, totally. I think compassion is really, compassion and unity are really, really important at this point. And I think this, everything that's happened in the last two years is kind of geared towards dividing everyone. Um, and, and I think what I try to remember is compassion um, and and yeah, I've, I've tried to express my concern to people around me about maybe, well, maybe we should wait with that inoculation. We don't really have long-term data. We don't know what it's going to do. Um, now we've got a bit more data. I'm even more concerned. Um, but if, if people aren't ready to take that information on board or they've got different circumstances and they make a different choice, I think we've just got to accept that and when they're ready to hear the information you can share it with them and be compassionate i think and and i think if you look at what's going on in the world and what's going on in ottawa for example uh the 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 uh, freedom convoy the truckers that are uh that have been in on, on parliament hill for over two weeks now what struck me and still striking me all the videos i see are like everyone is so peaceful everyone's so happy and and people are there's some um there's some people protesting against the protesters uh, and they've got they're actually quite angry those people uh, but the protesters are just like oh come with us you're my brother you're my sister come with me and and we'll welcome you that's fine and and everyone is really kind and um i think it's really heartwarming to see 
Yeah, it's the way forward. I mean, the way they've conducted themselves with all the kind of attacks about themselves, it'd be easy to lose their heads and kind of fight back. Um, but all the videos I've seen are amazing, handing out food to people. And now the tide's turned because loads of states have had to reverse the mandates. Of it now. I think the chief of the police in Ottawa has resigned. So it's kind of all crumbling down for yeah. Trudeau or Castro, as they call him. <laughs> yeah, so a video of someone saying, well, actually, I just want to thank Trudeau because you wanted to divide black and white people, but we've come together. You wanted to divide the the Aboriginal to the rest of the people, but we've come together. You wanted to divide straight and gay people, but we've come together. So thank you, Trudeau, or like the vaccine on that, or yeah. like whatever, but people are coming together. So he's a very manipulative guy. And I've noticed he uses race, obviously a very sensitive issue to control people a lot and divide, which I think yeah. is really dark. Well, I think he kind of I felt he shot his, himself in the foot when he when he mentioned, well, he said, Oh, the, the, the freedom convoy is a fringe minority that are racist, misogynist, and homophobic which couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it was just like, oh, well, if that's what you think, then you're yeah, living in a completely different world because these people are all like together. They're laughing, they're dancing, there's kids, there's sick, there's Indian, there's, there's people from all walks of life and they're all coming together. And yeah, well, that, it's... That's it. And I think... They've kind of underestimated people. I think they think we're dumber than we are. And um, in a way, like I've talked about this a lot with previous guests, like maybe this is kind of what we've needed. Obviously, there's a lot of really sad, dark things happening, but there's also like this kind of mass awakening to the amount of corruption that goes on at the highest level. It's going to bring people together and people are thinking about the health more we've just had a conversation about law we've all learned little things about law and all sorts in this time yeah no definitely and and, and i think that's also my kind of personal takeaway from everything that's happened in the last few months uh, obviously a lot has happened in the last two years like both personally and, and on on like a society level but personally even though i've gone through really difficult time because you were mentioning you um you had the potential guest that was coming which is off with stress I, I i had time off with stress recently as well which uh which was actually really good um in 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 hindsight because i i um i took time to reassess but there's yeah there's always a silver lining but i've i've been i've taken time to be more mindful i've gone back to my roots and i think when you're faced with losing something that you've worked so hard for and and that kind of defines you as well uh because our job defines us in a way and it's probably that to, to a very very low level you've got to separate a little bit from your ego um i mean not not, not in a like uh no, 100%, mystical, 100% uh, know what you mean and uh, my friend sam who's also a doctor who put us in touch she said the exact same thing to me and I love it because mm. it's just being honest and everyone's got these kind of ego things going on. And then she was saying like a big part of it is I'm really worried about losing my identity as being a doctor. Yeah. 
yeah no it's 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 scary because it is yeah so I've, I've probably separated a little bit from my ego but I need to probably separate more which is like my own work and I know I know that but I think I think that first awareness is is good um, but I think when you when you separate a little bit or you you see that possibly happening you go back to your own roots you go back to all so that's what I did I went back to my roots I went back to my spirituality and what was important to me and what I found was actually quite good um and and there's yeah I'm 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 sure I like being a doctor I don't want to stop being a doctor I like helping people and I like making a difference um but I've also got values and I think my core values are more important. And I think that's what I went back to. And, and also, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's helped me work on myself and yeah, more, more work to be done on the uh, ego separation, ego separation, but uh, yeah. That. Yeah. Me too. It's a long, <laughs> long journey. That one. And just yeah. you think you're getting somewhere. It's like, nah. <laughs> yeah. So all good fun. Yeah. Have you found that kind of journey? How's that kind of come about? Is that a recent thing then? This kind of spiritual path? I think I think it's yeah, but probably went exponentially recently. Um from from probably yeah, hitting rock bottom. I probably yeah, probably did not realise how how low I'd, I'd gone. Not not like I, I wasn't depressed, but in um like empty. I think because I've been, I've been trying to raise awareness for for well the best part of two years now about what's going on. Like, look, we need to raise questions. Like, n- none of this is adding up. We've got to. Why, why are we rushing into giving a jam that's not really been tested? That could be dangerous. There's some side effects, and no one seems to be worried about that. And I think it's it, it's taking its toll on me um and and i think yeah re- reaching really low um i've kind of yeah got, gone back into myself i went back because i'd stopped i think i, I had no energy i wasn't i wasn't cooking which i really enjoy i wasn't really doing much exercise and stopped doing my yoga and so i went back and initially i i, I couldn't really do much but i was I, I went back to doing yoga nidra which uh it's kind of a meditation, yeah, lying down. Uh, Is that like it's, was a body scanning meditation? It's kind of, but it's kind of body scanning. Uh, there's, I've done different ones, but for me, I think my, my body was just on high cort, so high cortisol, and have been for so long that I just needed to reset it, and and that's really what's helped me kind of build back because I wasn't sleeping either and it's uh yeah stress is really bad for you yeah yeah. I think Um, think that's that's probably the biggest pandemic of all isn't it stress and mental health yeah like definitely I do a lot of meditation but I still have bad days just because you know our modern way of living is just like we said it's not really aligned with what we're meant to be no 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 that's the thing and and it's I, I try to meditate I, I do more yoga which is kind of my meditation through yeah. movement uh, and I do a little bit of, of meditation as well and I know I'll, I'll feel better but then if you go back to your habits of having your day crammed with too many things and drinking too much coffee and then 
alcohol and and not exercising enough then you soon go back to as you say modern way of living that's a little bit well giving trauma to you <laughs> to your body on a, on a constant basis but but it's just reminding ourselves that yeah we're just humans we're not perfect we can't do everything at once and and i think little bits are better than nothing at all, nothing at all definitely yeah i think that's great advice yeah, so yeah we've, we've done about an hour um, okay really nice talk have you got any kind of final things that you want to talk about before we wrap it up no well i think i think really my the big message and i think what we wanted to to, to share today is really about yeah what, what's been happening but also we need to think about our children <laughs> And and we've got children, but I, I think about the children like of the world, um, and this is this is what it's for. I mean, I'm I mean I'm not that old. I've still got life to live, but my children have got their whole life to live, and and I'm trying to educate them to see that well, actually, there's not everything you don't accept everything you've been told. Question. And I think question everything is is probably the best lesson we can teach our children. Um, but also, yeah, um, try to resist. Do not do if you can avoid jabbing children um, or, or your children. Do, do it <laughs> because that there's there's definitely no benefit to to doing that. Yeah, I'm hundred percent with you there. Like. I've probably got a similar purpose to yourself for doing this. Like I've got a, a baby, nine months, years old, and like to think of the world that could be potentially coming into is very scary, really, to be honest. And um, we need as many people talking out as we can. Like I haven't got a big platform here, but if I can play a little role, the more the better, really. Because it's to me, it's quite blatant. There's something really not right going on. Yeah, but you're you're right. We've got yeah, we've all got our roles to play, and uh, as big or as little as it is, the more we speak out, will make a difference. Um, and and yeah, it is it is a scary world for our children. I I agree, uh, but I think it's always been scary to an extent. Maybe we just realize it more now. I don't know. I do realize it more, but also things are coming together. You were mentioning communities earlier. Like certainly locally, we've got communities kind of coming together. People are wanting to, yeah, come together and create something that's more sustainable and more natural, which is very positive. Yeah, that's it. Um, overall, I am very positive. Like, I think in 10 years, we'll look back and we'll understand why all this kind of needed to happen more so. And... I think yeah, the future could be a lot brighter than it was even you know twenty years ago before all this. Yeah, hopefully new ways of living. Yeah, yeah, we often have to go through a painful period before you get to a calm state. <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was it with me. Like my life completely changed when I lost my dad, which was like a really traumatic moment mm. for me. But that led me onto a, a new path because before that, my life was just about, you know, getting wasted and had no purpose and whatnot. So, yeah, it's kind of that on a mass level, isn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely. And yeah, 
society awakening is uh, is needed <laughs> yeah yeah exciting times exciting times yeah. Corsi, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on because, like we said, it's so important for people to talk out, especially professionals, because the amount of time I've had to hear, uh, listen to the doctors and whatever, it's like, well, I do. I've, I talk to doctors and they're telling me something completely different. So it's really nice to have that. And um, obviously I know there's a lot of kind of, there can be a lot of stigma and pressure on you guys not to talk out. So I really respect it. Thank you. Well, it was lovely to uh, have a conversation, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we need to keep speaking up. Cool. Great. Final message. Thank you, Elise. Okay. <laughs> Thank you.